You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the Beckett Cook Show. I'm Beckett Cook and we're on location today in Santa Barbara and have a very, very special guest, the one and only China Phillips Baldwin. Yes, thanks guys. I'm so excited to be on your show. Yay, I'm so glad you're on my show. Oh my and gosh. As you guys know, the show is all about kind of looking at the lies of the culture and finding the truth behind those lies. And so I want to talk about basically your story mm-hmm. of how you came to Christ, but what were the lies that you believed before you came to Christ? Oh and my then, gosh. and even the lies, <laughs> even some lies that you, you still kind of clung on to, or were still at, sort of there after you came to Christ. I'm still trying to dissect the lies. Yes. Yeah, like so we'll the get, lies are so intense. We'll get into that. So let's start at the beginning. So you were raised in a non- Christian home. Right? Completely. And of course, your parents were, are? Are John Phillips and Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas. California Preaching. California. Uh, yeah. I have a show called California Preaching. Yes. Her show's amazing on YouTube, California Preaching. <laughs> and um, and so so you had no exposure to God or Jesus as Other a than my housekeeper, who um, was also my nanny. So she was like a housekeeper slash nanny. And I needed it because my mom was really, really busy working and she needed somebody to care for me. So she hired this woman when I was a year old who didn't speak a stitch of English to take care of me. And my mom was raised in Mexico city for half her life. So she knew Spanish fluently. So she was like, you've got the job. Her name was Rosa Garcia. And Rosa didn't leave till I was 18 And so Spanish is my second language and she had crosses everywhere and she had candles of Mary. And so she was super Catholic Mm -hmm. and, um, she would pray over me and put holy water over me when I was sick. And, you know, she had all these Mexican remedies. She used to put rubbing alcohol in my belly button when I was sick. I don't know why, but she like (laughs) thought that would bring my fever down. Wow. But she was super into God. She was into God. I just don't know. You know, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and, and then at what age did your, your parents separated when you were young, right? Or two. When you were two they years old. They divorced when they I was divorced. two. Yeah. And did you remember that? Did you have a recollection of that? Absolutely or? no recollection No recollection. Of that. And so who, were there any father figures in your life growing up? Well, there were plenty, but plenty. <laughs> <laughs> they were all, um, mm. I mean, so my mom was married to Dennis Hopper for two weeks. I oh, don't that's know if you right. That. I think I knew that. <laughs> so I don't yeah. think that counts. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. count. Okay. And then my mother um, moved in with Jack Nicholson. Um, he actually had two properties on his estate. And so the houses were about, oh, I don't know, 300 feet apart from each other. And we lived in one and he lived in the other for four years. And apparently my mom had a pretty decent relationship with him. I don't remember him fathering me, but she says the reason she had to leave him was because he would 
rage and chase after me because he thought I was stealing his razors, which is really scary because what would a four-year-old want with razors, number one? And number two, could you imagine having Jack Nicholson chasing after you when you're four? Like, China! <laughs> That's crazy. So That's scary. You, you didn't feel like major love from Jack Nicholson. Oh, no. <laughs> be on the we, just got, uh, we just got a new guest on the show. This is Pokey. <laughs> Pokey Baldwin. Pokey Say Baldwin. Hello. She and, just likes to be rubbed. So if yeah, you don't mind, that's not going to annoy your people, is it? No, my pe they love puppies. <laughs> they love Pokey. <laughs> Pokey's the sweetest, by the yeah, way. Yeah, the sweetest. So she mellow. might be a slight distraction, so but don't let it distract you. Okay. So Jack Nicholson was with your mother for four years. Correct. And... And then that ended. And then so, my mom moved in with Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. Now, yeah. How long was that? That was like another four years. And yeah. did, did, did you feel love from him? You know, I did. I did. And I felt... I think a lot of women felt love from him. <laughs> Except for the one time he held me in the pool by my feet, upside down. Like, that didn't feel loving. But other than that... <laughs> <laughs> other than that he was nice i mean he really was a sweet guy he kind of you know he was he was the brooding type and he was he was uh very serious i didn't yeah. he wasn't the most playful he doesn't seem like he would be no yeah. he wasn't the most playful person but my mom was madly in love with him so was every other real, woman in hollywood yeah real heartbreaker yeah. he was do you keep in touch with him at all no but no. when i see him he's like oh china come sit on my lap you know it's like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't realize i'm 52 <laughs> <laughs> and then so after warren Beatty, is that when bob came into your life so warren Beatty, and then my mom I think that was really traumatizing for my mom. So it was just sort of a string of guys that weren't too serious. Yeah. I think she was afraid to really settle down after that with anybody. And then when I was about, I'll say seven she or eight, she met Bob Birch, who she ended up marrying right. and buying a home together. And that was the most stable my life ever got. You know, we moved into a really, I mean, literally it was picturesque. There were kids going up and down the street on their roller skates and, you know, playing baseball on the street. This is in Los Angeles. This is in Los Angeles. And um, I loved it. It was great. We lived, moved into a cute little Spanish villa type house. And um, I went to the local elementary school there and school i hated school i hated school but anyway yeah and i was the flower girl at their wedding and he was the first man ever in my life to teach me that i was lovable and he Aww. really enjoyed spending time with me and he was very engaging and he was super into you know like let's go really spontaneous. Let's get in the car and go to Palm Springs. He loved playing tennis. So I was horrible at tennis and he had no shame in telling me that. So we would get to, you know, Palm Springs and we'd play a little tennis and just the two of us, like he just loved being with me. And like, that was a big deal to me because I had had some issues with molestation when I was a child. So I was always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with mm -hmm. him. And it never did. Like he was just a normal, sweet, man that yeah. loved me and I, that was the first time I ever had an experience where I felt just loved and safe I felt safe and yeah. I I got just to the brink of starting to call him dad and they got a divorce
Wow. Mm -hmm. and, and then my mom kind of used me as a pawn a little bit because he would call and say, let me see China. And she'd be like, absolutely not. <laughs> so you're, you had a pretty chaotic childhood. I mean, did you, while you were living it in real time, did you feel like your childhood was pretty crazy with all these guys coming in and out? I used to have what's called micro um, aneurysms. <laughs> like they're kind of like m micro um, micro seizures. Like I'm not even kidding where wow. I would just sort of space out like this and people would go like this, like, hello, hello. And I would just stare and stare and stare. And then I would come out of it and they're actually called micro seizures. And it's a form of PTSD wow. where you have to, you have no choice. It's, it's, a, it's not elective. Like you literally have no choice. You need to check out because your body, you're, you're cross wiring so much and you've been through so much, P, you have so much PTSD that that's your body's way of coping with the trauma is to actually have your body go somewhere for like 30 seconds at a time used to happen several times a day every day of my life and still does wow yeah it's gotten better but yeah, yeah i mean i ask you all the time like how are you even still standing i with, know with what you went through people in your say that to me all the time yeah it's amazing it's god's grace obviously um and so when was the first time because i think you went to school or something where you you yeah. were introduced to, to redeemer baptist redeemer baptist yeah well, how old were you so that was seventh grade so how old are you in seventh grade i don't know 13 right 14 Probably, yeah 12. So, really that Maybe young 12. <gasps> well 12. maybe less i was 12. i don't know i was 12. And so what was that like to be exposed to the gospel or exposed to jesus like what how did that I knew Jesus was real from the moment the girls forced me into the bathroom to read the salvation prayer because I'd stolen some chocolate milk and I was in big <laughs> trouble at the school and they all felt like I was a sinner and needed saving. And so they put me in the bathroom. It wasn't awkward at all. <laughs> there were like eight girls around me Doing with my little salvation card and they were like, just yeah, intervention. They were just like, just repeat the words. And of course I was expecting absolutely nothing. And so I read the words and as I was reading the words, I'll never forget it ever. I just felt like I was being cleansed, like a scan, like a holy scan was going down my body and everything that was warped and everything that was twisted and everything that was crooked and everything that was corrupt and everything that was toxic and everything that was painful and every single trauma, every single abuse, every single heartache just went out of my body all the way down to my feet, all the way. And then oh out my gosh. and then out. I, I've never heard this. Yeah. And then I just stood there paralyzed by the end of the salvation prayer. I couldn't speak. And they were like, hello? And I went into like a micro aneurysm. They thought I was going into like a, a micro seizure, but I actually wasn't in a micro seizure. I was just- You were in a Holy Spirit moment. In a Holy moment. Spirit moment. Yeah. And the Lord sort of shut me up. I can't explain, I couldn't speak. And it was so holy. And I knew that it was the power of God. And in that moment, I knew that Jesus Christ was God. I just had no, wow. I had, I had no, uh, thank you. <laughs> I had no doubts at all that Jesus Christ was Lord, was Savior, was the truth, was the answer. Here's the problem. 
I went home that day. Right. And my mom was like smoking a doobie and she like passed it to me right now. I didn't smoke that day. I don't think, I don't even quite remember, but when you're going home to that after what you've just experienced, it right. just, there's going to be pro a problem Yeah, because there's no foundation. There's no support. You I'm didn't get 12 like, years old. Right. There wasn't a time for you to be discipled and like, you know, people to come around you and zero. Yeah. Zero. So you're... Zero. it was the opposite. It was like, why don't you have a glass of wine or here, let's roll a joint or let's go to Mexico and party and invite <laughs> six friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> And so do you think like, so was that day just kind of, did it just kind of, kind of slip out of your memory for a while or like what? It never slipped out of my memory, but it, 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 I did have to compartmentalize it because it was so beautiful and so sacred and I knew that it was truth and it was kind of mine. It was just my experience and I held it away in a safe little chamber and I always recalled it and, um, but yet I still got totally into drugs, totally into promiscuity, totally into alcohol and I got into really bad relationships and I was, um, you know, going to the clubs and you know, the story it's like, I grew up in LA. I could have so easily been a Hollywood statistic, you know, thank, yeah. thank goodness I wasn't, but did you ever pray like as a kid? No. Were you praying? No. Okay. No. As a matter of fact, I got so deceived that I started like going to the Bodhi tree. Remember that place? Of course. I was going. It's like a new agey Buddhist bookstore. Bookstore in West Hollywood that's no longer there, praise God. Yeah. And I was going to the Bodhi tree all the time and I was buying my incense and I was buying, you know, my books on Eastern philosophy, like, you know, uh, uh, autobiography of a yogi. And I started going to the Paramahansa Yogananda Center and the Palisades. And mm -hmm. I started meditating and I started, and I didn't know who I was meditating to. It was just like, I'm meditating to the universe. Like I had yeah. no idea. I don't know. I was so deceived. And, but I, but I was also seeing tarot card people. I was seeing psychics. I really fell into that whole right. thing. And people might ask like, well, if you knew Jesus was the truth, how did you, why didn't you just go to church when you could, yeah. you know? But, but the, it's because no one was around to disciple you or to... Well, the thing is, I got clean and sober uh -huh. when I was 19. So I got uh, that all happened for me really young. So I hit my bottom at a very young age. I was 19 when I got clean and sober. So I was going to AA meetings and I got a sponsor and I was going to the Bodhi tree. And I think there was a part of me that kind of felt like if God, if that God truly loved me, all of those horrible things wouldn't have happened to me. So I think on some subconscious level, I just said, mm, I tried Jesus and right. that didn't work. Clearly, if I got saved when I was 12 and then ended up here at my lowest, at my bottom, then I, I and I don't even remember um, necessarily thinking like Jesus abandoned me. I think it was more of a subconscious feeling. And then at what age were you when Hold On became number one, a number one hit single? Yeah. So I started writing songs because I found it to be extremely cathartic. I just thought, okay, I didn't even know. I didn't even want to be a singer. I, that was never in my game plan, Becca. I wanted to be an actress. 
I was like okay. a born actress. That's kind of what I was bred to do. I just yeah. took a lot of acting lessons in school and I was good at it and I was doing plays and, and I got a, uh, an agent right out of high school and I started booking movies and I was doing really, really well. More TV movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, um, yeah, I was doing really, really well. Um, and then when I got sober, I started doing super well. I mean, I just, I never became like a famous actress, but I started booking stuff right and left as an actress. And I right. thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then a whole lot of things happened, which is a very, very long story. But basically, um, I started singing with my old friends, Carney Wendy and, and Carney. Wendy yeah. and Wilson, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys daughters. And they were my best friends from childhood. So I would go over to their house almost every weekend as a child. And then we went through this long phase of not seeing one another um, just because we were in high school and doing different things and on different paths and they lived in the valley and that was really far away. <laughs> <laughs> the valley's far. <laughs> the valley yeah. was too far and I didn't drive at that point. So... Um, so then I started writing songs because the three of us started formulating a sound. We started singing together and, um, we knew that we were onto something with the sound. And so we just said, okay, we're going to be a group. Right. And I thought, well, if we're going to be a group and we're going to write then we got to write songs, you know, because yeah. I didn't want to be like those manufactured kind of groups, which you see all the time yeah. now where they just say, okay, here's your music. This is what right. you're going to sing. Like I wanted to have sync or something. Yeah. I wanted to have more control. Yeah. And I wanted to be taken seriously. So I thought, well, if I write my songs, we'll be taken more seriously. So I started banging away at my mom's antique piano, drove her nuts because I hadn't <laughs> taken piano since I was like seven. So yeah. I was trying to figure out all the chords and notes that I'd learned when I was a kid. And I, about a week later, after all the pounding away at the keys, came up with this really cool hook. And it was, come on, baby, come on, baby, you knew it was time to just let go. I'm singing in a really high uh, key right now, way too high. But that's Release Me. And that's the first song right. that okay. we ever wrote together as a group. I called up Carney and Wendy and I was like, you got to come over right now. I'm onto something really cool. And they came over and we finished the song that day on the piano, just the three of us. That was the first song and the only song that we ever wrote <laughs> as a group. And um, then we met Glenn Ballard, who ended up doing Jagged Little Pill with Alanis right. Morissette and Man in the Mirror with Michael Jackson. I mean, like, you He's name a it. genius. Genius. Yeah. And he and I wrote Hold On. And then we wrote You're in Love, all of us. And then we wrote um, the rest of the album and got a record deal. I mean, it all sounds like it happened so quickly, but this was a span of four years. That's still pretty quick. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it is still pretty quick. Yeah, that's it pretty is. amazing. Yeah. And so what? at what point was it when Hold On hit, hit number one? Was that when you were kind of like, how did you feel in that moment? Did you feel... Like kind of uh, loved and like, what was that feeling like? Well, the first time I ever heard "Hold On" on the radio was on my birthday, and it How was old? my twenty-first or twenty-second birthday, twenty-first or twenty-second birthday, and I um, was in Japan when it went to number one, and Carney 
was in the room right next to me. And we knew because Vogue Madonna was number one. I love saying this. <laughs> Vogue was number one. And they kept saying to us, there's a chance, there's a chance you might be able to knock Madonna off the number one spot. And we were like, <laughs> what? And it gives me the chills. And we were in Japan and um, in the middle of the night, I hear, like screaming at the top of the lungs and I knew it was Carney and I knew in that moment that our song had gone to number one because wow. they told us they'd call us in the middle of the night if it did. And so I go running out into the hallway. I not bang on her door. She comes out. She's got tears flooding down her face. She's like, it went to number one. And we both start jumping down, up and down. And then Wendy hears the commotion. She comes out. We tell her. All three of us are jumping all down and all these Japanese people come out in their little robes and they're like, well, what's going on? <laughs> what's happening out here? And um, so it was really exciting. How did I feel? I felt elated. I felt validated. I felt, um, I felt blown away. I felt blessed. I felt tired. Did you, it was a lot of work. Was there at that point in your life when you were super successful doing that? I mean, was there an aspect of spirituality still going on or not at all? There was, but it was the same. It was meditation it was every morning. Yeah. I lit my candle. I let my, I lit my incense and I just got really quiet and tried to quiet my mind. It was all about like quieting the mind, sweeping the mind yeah. and getting all thoughts out. It wasn't really about a relationship. It was just about slowing myself down. And as you can see, I really could benefit <laughs> from that. Yeah. As I drink my caffeinated yeah. tea. But, and so did you, um, but you still had that, that memory as a little girl I, I having did. that experience. I did. God. And as a matter of fact, because I had AA meetings going on at my house and this woman who used to always show up late for some reason was super early one morning for the AA meeting at my house. She knocked on the door and she had this light literally she was glowing and she had this luminous thing going on around her face and she was like you are i said i looked at her and i said what is going on samantha you look amazing like you have a light around you and she goes if i told you you would never believe me and i go <laughs> oh jesus and she goes how did you know and i said of course it's jesus jesus is the answer i just see so i knew I knew, wow. like I knew internally that he was the answer, the way, the truth, and the life. But m there was some sort of spirit that was keeping me yeah, from that. That was pulling Because I would buy books at the Bodhi Tree, and if I ever found any scripture at all, which sometimes, believe it or not, I would. I would be like, oh, scripture. That's ancient. That's barbaric. That's, 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 that's not the real God. That's a fake yeah. God. That's a religious God. Wow. Yeah. And so I was repelled. Yeah. And that, but yet I see her Samantha's face and I was like, Oh, that's, that's Jesus. Of course that's Jesus. It's funny because right after, like right after I got saved 11 years ago, I was at some, I think it was at like home Depot for, I was doing a, a photo shoot, a job. And I ran into this random person I worked with before. And he literally said to me, Beckett, you're glowing. <laughs> and I was like, I literally was like, it's Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> so I know that. I know that. You experience. recognize the spirit too. Like he may not have, I, I mean, I don't know where he is today on his walk, but I think that people who do know that Jesus is the answer, but they don't, but they're not there yet, recognize the spirit. Yeah. And I think I recognized the spirit in Samantha. I knew yeah. that's who it was. It was clear to me. 
I think that's a common thing. So we'll, we're, let's get to the, because I think what you're, you're saying is very common in terms of literally meeting Christ or feeling the Holy Spirit or, or getting saved when yeah. you're young, but it not really taking till yes. later on. That, yes. That's the a, a phenomenon that's happened over the centuries in church history. Did you attribute a lot of your success to the meditation stuff and like all that? No. Or not at all? I mean, I attributed it more to getting clean and sober. Okay. Because I really realized, wow, I would never have been able to accomplish these things if I'd been using drugs. Yeah. Like, I never could. As a matter of fact, I the reason I got sober was because it was a 4th of July weekend and I did so much cocaine that when I looked at myself in the mirror, I was green. What? I was literally green. And I said to myself, <laughs> I was like, China you are going to die. If you don't stop doing this reckless behavior, you are going to die. And it wasn't, there was no question in my mind. I knew I was on the path to killing myself, not suicide, but I knew that I would die somehow, whether it was in a car crash or whether I overdosed or whether I, I just knew I was going to die. There was there, something told me China, wow. if you don't get sober today, you are going to die. So that's what I did. I went to an AA meeting that night with a friend who I'd known for years, who I knew was sober and said, will you take me to a meeting? I didn't know what I was doing. And That's I got amazing. sober, but I took it really, 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 really seriously. Like I was doing the steps and got a sponsor and like, I, and you're I like was showing hardcore. up every day. Oh, like two meetings a day. It works if you work <laughs> it, if, if it's worth it. And yes. And the serenity <laughs> prayer, like I was in it for yeah. many, 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 many years. And I love it. And I think it's, you know, I think it's very powerful for many people, but I don't think it's for absolutely everybody either. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you met Billy Baldwin, right? Which, who is by all accounts, the smartest and best looking Baldwin brother, right? Is Hands that correct? Down. Hands down. And so at what point did you meet Billy? Was this post like, hold on or yes. when, when, okay. Yes. So I was in an airport. I had just hours before broken up with my guitar playing alcoholic <laughs> Uh, boyfriend <laughs> with black hair down to here who was in love with his guitar way more than he was in love with me. And um, I had that morning, I said to him, I said, we need to take a break. He agreed. And I said, I'm going away for a month. I was on my way to New York first for one night. And then we were going on a one month tour, promotional tour mm -hmm. for Wilson Phillips. And um, so our album had already been out for a year at that time. And, um, we'd already had a few number ones and all that, but I had, I mean, it's a really long story, the story about how I met Billy, but there were so many crazy coincidences. It could be a whole other show. So, but crazy coincidences when I was in the waiting area for the, for, for the aircraft and he walked in my jaw dropped because I could not believe that he had just walked in because of all the coincidences that had happened literally one week before I met him. So I know you guys are all on pins and needles wanting to know <laughs> exactly, but just trust me. It was like my manicurist, my makeup artist. I know it sounds so like Hollywood, but my manicurist, my makeup artist, um, uh, Ron Howard, who had called and asked if I would go see Backdraft um, and, and possibly do a... Uh, Billy was in the movie Backdraft. Yes. Of course to do a cover of heat wave for backdraft. Remember heat wave. Oh, yeah. uh, he wanted Wilson Phillips to do a cover of that. That never ended up happening for, ba for a backdraft, but we went to go see, I'll just tell you the quick part. We went to go see the movie 
And as soon as Billy's face came on the screen, I grabbed my friend Courtney's leg and I was like, who is that? <laughs> and she was like, that's Billy Baldwin. <laughs> I said, who's Billy Baldwin? She was like, you know, Alec Baldwin's brother, you know, Hunt for Red October. And I was like, oh, they do look alike. Yeah. That's hilarious. And then I was like, I have to know him. I was like, <laughs> if I wasn't with my boyfriend, I would be like that crazy psycho I would be, Stalker. I would be stalking that person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there were just all these things leading up on my end, but there were things leading up on Billy's end too. So really God wanted us together. Wow. And so from the time you met till the time you got married, how long was that? Way too long. Way he should have, he should have proposed to me three months <laughs> into one. our relationship. The, the Day one would have been fine, but he made me wait like two years and then he proposed. And did, did you tell Billy? while you were courting or dating or betrothed uh, that you had had that experience as a child with God or did, or did you even talk about nope. faith or anything? Nope. Okay. So nope. it wasn't even on God the God was not even yeah. in the picture. In the I picture. mean, he saw me getting on my knees every night and praying, but I wasn't praying to Jesus. I was just praying to God. Like to in like general. the universe. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And so then fast forward to when did you have a moment that moment that really when your faith really kicked in like so full blast i gave birth to jameson my first daughter and Gorgeous. uh yeah she's such a sweetheart and it was kind of traumatizing because my whole life had been about like me 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 me, <laughs> and you're me, like, me. it's why is it all about you i was like who is this <laughs> alien like sucking <laughs> on my breast <laughs> and uh, I, I loved her, but I, I was just traumatized. I was like, this is my new life. What? This is what my whole life is going to look like now. My best friend called me and she was saying to me, um, China, can you believe you've had a baby? I mean, how amazing, what a miracle. And I said, yeah, but you know what? I know she's not the answer. I know she's not going to fix me. You, I, wow. You knew that. I knew that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I knew that something was still missing because i think a lot of women especially like you you hear just like celebrity women who were like like madonna for example yeah. when she had her first child it was like everything was fixed and solved you know <laughs> yeah. going to this um but so go ahead yeah so i just knew that i loved her very very much but i knew she wasn't you know like the answer and so I started thinking more and more about what I needed and what I wanted in life. And I can't remember exactly what got me there, but because I had the Redeemer Baptist roots, yeah. I went to a um, Redeemer Baptist church um, in New York City. I just said, I want to go there. I just want to go there. Well, I walk in and the pastor's going, blood of the lamb, blood of the lamb. And I'm like, no, like, what is he talking about? I literally thought he was talking about a lamb that was being sacrificed, which he was. He was talking about Jesus Christ. I just didn't understand that he was talking about Jesus bleeding on the cross and that he was the lamb of God. None of, I didn't understand any of that. Yeah. And so for me, it so was it just, scared you. I just scared me. I was just traumatized. I was like, blood of the lamb. Like, why did we have, like, right when I walked in, it was all about blood. <laughs> it was all about blood. And, um, 
so then after that church service and it was great the worship was great and i remember thinking to myself oh this feels so good i just want to worship but i still didn't know exactly who i was worshiping i mean at that point i knew i was in a christian church and i knew that i was supposed to be worshiping jesus but i didn't have a relationship to jesus with jesus to be kind of worshiping him so this woman pulled me aside and she was like would you like to accept jesus as your lord and savior and i said well this will be time you know times two my <laughs> second, second time. time and she was like that's okay that's okay sometimes we need to like recommit and um and so i did it again and i didn't have like the same powerhouse experience that time 31 okay so uh but then Stephen Acuna got saved after uh it was before 9 9-11 i think Kenya got saved and then 9-11 happened and then Stephen got saved right and um Stephen Baldwin Baldwin Billy's brother and they would come over and talk about Jesus this and Jesus that and you know they'd have their bibles and they would pray over us and all this stuff but I was still a little bit like yeah I get it like I want to have a relationship I think with Jesus but I don't want it to look like that like I don't I don't want, I don't want to be that extreme I yeah that's a little much you know <laughs> and so um, then like four months later, we had moved to Bedford out of the city to, to Bedford, New York. And, um, Stephen and Kenya were over and a couple of Billy's nieces were over and they were praying over their, the nieces at the kitchen table and the nieces were getting upset and crying at the table, not because they were being prayed over, but because I guess the Holy Spirit was moving and wow. they were crying. And the Holy Spirit just said to me, go into the kitchen, sit down at the table and tell Stephen and Kenya that you want them to do to you exactly what they're doing to them. Wow. So I was like, okay. Wow. So awesome. I walked into the kitchen and I sat down and I said, whatever you're doing there, <laughs> like, <laughs> I need some of that. I need some of that. <laughs> yeah. Like do that to me. So <clears throat> they started praying over me. I think Kenya was praying in tongues and, you know, Stephen was praying over me and I just started crying. You know, the Holy Spirit has a way of just immediately cracking your heart yeah. open. Yeah. And, uh, I just started bawling and I don't even remember what they prayed over me. Um, I may have even received Jesus for thrice. <laughs> I don't even know. It might've been my thrice time, but then I went, stood straight up and I said to Kenya and Steven, I said, that's it. I'm done. I am done. Wow. It is Jesus from this day forward. Oh only Jesus, nothing else. I live for him. He's my life. He's my purpose. He's my reason. And I will live from this day forward to serve him. He's my God. Wow. And I went outside. Gives me chills. I went outside. I grabbed the Buddha that had been sitting at our front door <laughs> from for years. And I wrapped it in these thick, thick towels with duct tape. And then I threw it in my garage. And I went to church that Sunday, joined Kenya's Bible study, which would go from two o'clock in the afternoon till about two in the morning. Okay. It was like a That's really amazing. intense so Bible study. you would drive study. to Nyack? I'd drive to Nyack. And us ladies would all sit around the table. A few times I ended up underneath the table with like foam coming out of my mouth because they like exercised me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like I'm amazing. not even kidding. Wow. Uh, but I mean, I think for me, my, my conversion was so dramatic. Once it started, it was super dramatic, which I know you can identify with. Yeah. But it was very dramatic because two days after that, I was laying in bed and, and the Lord told me I couldn't, 
I couldn't even speak about what I'm about to tell you for 15 years. It, it was like the Lord was saying, no, you, you are not to discuss that until the time is right. And now I know the time is right. And it's been right for about four months. I've only been free. And my tongue wouldn't even speak of it for 15 wow. years. So I'm laying in bed and I, I, I'm laying in bed and it's got to be, I don't know, maybe seven in the morning. And I don't know if Billy's laying next to me or not. I don't know. But the entire room, I'm still like in a twilight sleep. But I feel the power of God completely flood the room. And there's like a golden energy light. Even though my eyes are closed, I can feel the gold. I can feel the light. I can feel the warmth and the perfection and the holiness. And I can feel the love. And I can feel the power of God emanating through the entire room and flooding my body. And I don't, I felt God was downloading something into me. I still to this day don't know exactly what was happening to me, but it happened again the very next day, the very next morning, or I would assume maybe even at that exact same time. So it happened two mornings in a row and, uh, but I was unable to speak about it. So yeah. And then I started speaking in tongues and it just, it was just um, an overwhelming feeling of this is the truth. There is a heaven. There is a hell, kind of like yeah. what you know, there is um Jesus there is an is enemy. Yeah. There is an enemy, and there is a God, and there in that Jesus is the Son of God. He did rise from the dead, and he did ascend into heaven, and there's no other way to get to heaven except through him. And that wow. was yeah, and how powerful. How what year was that? Well, let's see. We're talking Jameson was born in 2000 and Brooklyn was born in 2004. So it was 2004. Wow. And then, so how did you break the news to Billy that you were, <laughs> you were on fire for Jesus? Yeah. How did you break that news and how did he receive it? Well, he kind of knew that Sunday because he came to church with me and which was always so sweet. Billy's always been so supportive. Like he, he he's never said no to me about going to church and He's never said no to me about praying with me. And even though we're not like equally yoked and we're not, you know, equal, you know, he's not steeped in Jesus and he's, he has a lot of questions about it. Um, he's always been very supportive. So I have to give him kudos and props for yeah. that because, you know, not a lot of men would do that. Yeah. I, I don't think he received it that Sunday. I think he really realized that, wow, China's not kidding around. Like this is really this is something's real. fallen on her. A spirit has fallen on her that he couldn't deny. He couldn't deny. He saw it. And I think it scared him a little bit because first of all, who wants to compete with Jesus? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> what man, wants, what to compete man with Jesus? wants to compete with Jesus? Nobody wants to compete with Jesus. And, um, and I think that he saw right away that I had my nose in my Bible all the time. I would just drive to this lake and just soak up the word. And I would be gone for like two hours and he'd be like, where were you? <laughs> and I would just say to him, you know, I just went and got my Bible and I just went and read. And, you know, it's kind of like if you get really immersed in the word, you don't realize how much time yeah. is has gone by, especially in those early days. Yes. I, mean, I wish I was doing that I know. more. I used to be the same way. Right? Just like hours in the Bible. Hours. And, and then I would be you like, oh, it's enough. like 5 p.m. You can't, can't get enough. I know. Yeah. 
And, and so he knew. And then when I got baptized, he knew. He was like, oh, because he was crying hysterically. Where, when I where got did you get baptized? baptized? In, in Kenya's bathtub. Oh, in that's Stephen's right. wife's bathtub. And there was like a bongo play. Bongo or Congo? Bongo. Bongo. It was a bongo player and there was a singer and there were candles burning and there was a guitar player and they were all singing worship. And I was wearing her white, you know, robe, uh, pajama robe. And oh my gosh, wow. I just went under and came up new creation. Wow. Yeah. And so, and to this day, Billy is still super supportive of your faith. Very supportive. And I mean, it's gotten more intense, you know, for him because I've become a little more conservative in, in my beliefs and he's super, you know, left and like, you know, really has very liberal, liberal beliefs. And um, I used to share a lot of those beliefs, but I don't share them as much anymore. Right. <laughs> right. So that, that can cause friction. In yeah. The and then, so what, and what, what prompted you to start California preaching? So I, which is your, your YouTube show yeah. where you just share about Jesus and yeah. it's amazing. And you're like, so on fire for the Lord. I love your show because you, it just like you emanate just such joy for the Lord. Thank and it, you. and I think it, and it, I think it's affecting so many people and touching mm -hmm. so many people. And I think it's just, I mean, God is so glorified in it, Thank but you. what prompted you to start that? So, um, I had always sort of been very envious of people who could like go to Africa and be on the front lines and do these mission trips to Mexico and, you know, just build churches and plant right. churches. Me too. And I was the same I way. Was just I'm like, like, why can't what? I do that? Like, Lord, I'm... if you want me to do that, send me there. But, you know, I, I never got that prompting yeah. from the Holy Spirit. So I was just like, Lord, I really want to do something for your kingdom that's powerful, but I just don't know what it is. And he just up saying YouTube channel. And I was like, what? <laughs> YouTube channel. YouTube channel. Um, and I just kept, I kept thinking to myself, is this, could this really be what he wants me to do? YouTube channel. And so a couple of years went by where I didn't listen to YouTube channel. I was like, okay, whatever. I'm not doing that right now. And, um, and then I always had it on my to-do list though. And when I hired this guy to come, Tyler, <laughs> when guy. I hired Tyler <laughs> to come hang out with us and help us get our life organized, um, he, I said to him, I said, he goes, what's this Cal, Cal preach? And he goes, what's this YouTube channel thing on the list that was like way at the bottom of the list? And I said, yeah, you know, I've had this idea for a while and I've been kind of chewing on it, but I don't know how to get started. And I'm so intimidated and I don't know what to do, but I really want to do something for Jesus. I want to do a show for Jesus. And he was like, huh? He was like, well, I can help you with that. And I was like, you could? And he said, yeah. And I said, I said, he goes, I used to have my own YouTube channel. <laughs> I said, you did? Amazing. And he said, yeah. He was like, you know, it did pretty well and I <clears> loved it, but you know, it was a lot of work to keep up. So I kind of let it go, but I totally know a lot about YouTube and I can help you with that. And you know, my major is uh, film editing. Wow. <laughs> God, that's a God moment. Uh, I said, really? That's your major? And he said, yeah, that's my major. He said, so I can edit all your videos for you. And so we got started on it about four months later. I was still dragging my feet. I was scared. And then about four months later, we got serious and we started shooting episodes. Like the, it started off as episodes and it was all very formal. Like I was wearing, you know, the buttoned up shirt and I was 
you know, reading off a teleprompter, literally I would agonize for, for like a week and a half over every word I was going to say. And I would write it out four pages. And in the very beginning, this, you won't believe before I even had a teleprompter, he would say, and Jesus said, before we would roll and then he'd press record. And then I would just repeat what he said. It was so, yeah, that's labor intensive. It was so labor intensive and it was, and, and it was, and it was so, um, it, it was so sort of uh, uh, contrived, Can, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I just knew I started getting this terrible back pain because whenever I have stress, I get this pinch in my back and I know I'm, I'm just stressed. Yeah. And I used to get the pinch every single time before we would start shooting. And Amazing. I was like, Lord, finally I got on my knees because it was episode nine and I didn't want to do it. I'd done eight episodes and I didn't want to do episode nine. And Tyler literally pulled me aside and he goes, there's no way you're not following through with this. It's fine with me if you don't want to do a season two, but you're going to finish season one. And I was like, okay. So I did it and I finished it. And then I was like, Lord, am I done? Is that all you wanted me to do? Because that doesn't feel like the call you had on my life. Yeah. That didn't YouTube channel. Like, what? why were you doing <laughs> that to me for so many years? And so then I just heard a voice that just said something along the lines of, China, it needs to be organically you. Yeah. You need to, you need, your personality needs to shine through. People want to know you. And um, that's how I'll speak. I'll speak through you. I'm an unedited God. So I was like, okay. So I started shooting episodes that were unedited. And then I started just posting them, like cringing and just posting them. Yeah. And uh, they started doing really well and I started my subscribership started going up and up and up and up and I realized of course God is unedited and yeah. God does want us to confess and so I just started talking about my walk with Jesus and I, I call it California preaching only because it's a play on words with California dreaming my the song my parents wrote but I'm not a preacher I'm no preacher and I didn't go to seminary school like this one <laughs> but I I love Jesus and I'm just one of the sheep. And I always say that to people. I'm like, I'm just one of the sheep and I just want to document my journey with Jesus on my good days, my bad days, my raw days, the days I'm crying hysterically, the days that people comment like, you need medication, you don't need Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like people say things like that to me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just human. You know, yeah. I have my days where I feel like Jesus is a thousand miles away. And then I have other days where I feel super connected to the Holy spirit and I'm just one of the sheep. It's like, that's part of, I think the journey. Yeah. It's interesting that you say the thing about, you know, God, just you hearing the YouTube, do YouTube, YouTube, because I had no desire or intention to start a YouTube show, but it was so crazy at like this certain, this maybe it was like six months ago or maybe a year ago at this point, but just random people would comment on things that I posted. Like you need to have your own YouTube show. Yes. And then they would say, you know, I just kept hearing it over and over again. And then my pastor who had moved to London to plant a church in London in the middle of all this called me like out of the blue from London and was like, the first words out of his mouth were Beckett, you need to start a YouTube show. And I was like, what? There you I go. have to do this now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why I started the Becca Cook show. There and you go. And it's an amazing show. Thank and, you. and now we're YouTubers. Now we're YouTubers. We're so I cool. guess. I know. We're what, so whatever cool. that is. 
for YouTubers. It makes me feel like I'm 20. At this point in your life, are there still any kind of lies of the world, of the culture that you buy into? Or are you are just like, because of the word of God and because you're so steeped in, in the word of God and, and Jesus, you just spot the lies immediately? No, I don't spot the lies immediately anymore. I still don't spot the lies. Um, I what See, because for me, there are two Chinas. And sometimes those Chinas... <laughs> Kind of like what Paul talks about. Like sometimes he wants to do the things that, yeah. you know. That's he, Romans chapter seven. Yeah. He he wants to do good, but he never, he always ends up doing. Why do I do the, Will you please? the, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And then I do the things I don't want to do. Yeah. Or, yeah. That's yeah. kind of the paraphrase. Yeah. Of, yeah. And so I feel like I'm still very enmeshed with the old China. And so part of my prayer um, is that all of that confusion and toxicity and abandonment and neglect and abuse that I suffered as a child would be able to finally be healed and um, set aside. You know what I mean? Because I... And so I was so ingrained and so deeply steeped in that person that for, for the God to extract the parts of me that are not, he's not happy with has been a painful open heart procedure and has not been smooth. And it has been a long process. Um, and I feel like obviously that's a lifelong journey, Yeah. but, but I do see it happening. Thank you, Jesus. I do see that I am becoming the woman that the Lord, you know, I always say to God, let me see, let me see myself as you see me. Let me see myself as you see yes. me. And he's helped me to be able to see the definition of who China is in Christ not the definition of who I was in 1987 or the definition of who I was when I was dating him or, you know, who I was when I was snorting Coke or when I was, you know, being promiscuous, but it's hard sometimes to, um, to disengage. Like I don't engage in any of those activities anymore, but part of my mind is still in that, um, in that belief system, right? Yeah. In that belief system of I'm damaged goods, I'm not good enough. Jesus could never love me. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm, you know, um, and you know the interesting thing is, is that that's all kind of pride, really. I was talking about it this morning on YouTube uh, yeah. because it's like people either say I'm not, you know, yeah. The the quote was. Um, I'm not that bad and God's not that mad. People have this thing like, right. why should I have a savior? Why do I need a savior to die for me? Why would I need that? Yeah, like, I'm, I'm not, not that, that bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, there's also on the opposite side of the spectrum, you know, I'm a good person. I, you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm a bad person and I'm wicked and I've done horrible things that I'll never be able to be forgiven. I'll never be able to be forgiven of right. this stuff. So I can't accept Jesus. Like, Jesus, no. It's, it, you know, I'm so not that's worthy. that's just as prideful. That's yeah. just as prideful. They're both yeah. pride. Yes. And it's, and it's the same disease. Yeah. It's the same disease. So I suffer 
from a little bit of both of them, I think. I think also you can suffer from a little bit of both of those spectrums. Yeah, yeah. and as, as we know, biblically, when God sees you, he sees you through the blood of Christ. He sees you perfectly righteous and through the blood of Christ. Yeah. And so you're you're perfect through God's eyes, which is amazing. And but, you've taught and me that I'm a saint. You're a saint. Oh, we're all <laughs> saints. When Yeah, when someone, when, that's the funny thing in the, you know, growing up as a Roman Catholic, there, there were people who, like Mother Teresa, who were canonized as saints. But it wasn't until I became a Christian and read the word of God that anyone who is born again and who is a Christian, which is, you know, you are saint. That's why Paul, every, in all the letters, Paul, Paul and other apostles uh, address the church as saints, mm-hmm. dear saints. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are saints. You're a saint. You're I'm a saint. saint. And so uh, you're a saint. You're a saint. So that's amazing. And it's amazing to watch. I mean, I, I just love watching you and your, your passion for Jesus because it's so it's infectious. And I love that you are just so fearless. Like I see China on her show, like she, (laughs) it cracks me up because she's amazing. She'll just be walking her dog down the street doing a YouTube show and every stranger she passes by, she's like, Peace of Christ, peace of Christ, and they're just kind of like, huh? <laughs> I was thinking about in Santa Barbara, like you know. I was saying in my YouTube channel this morning, not one person has ever said peace of Christ back to me, not one. And not I've been one. doing this for a couple of years now, so I'm waiting for the first person that's like the Willy Wonka gobstopper. Like I'm waiting for the first person to say to me, "Peace of Christ," like back to me. It's never happened, but when they do, I'm going to be like, "I love you." Yeah, I love you because no one's ever said it back. But that's, well, that's okay. I'm that's, not waiting for somebody to say it back. I mean, kind of, maybe I am. Yeah. Well, that's what's, that's what's cool is that God saves us and then uses our kind of natural talents. And you were, you were naturally, I, I mean, obviously you were naturally an extrovert and very, you know, in, you're very engaging. And so God is using that in you to spread the gospel and to, to love on strangers in your neighborhood your or wherever you go so Thank that you. is so cool to see and it's such it's so nice to have somebody a friend who's just so passionate about the lord i feel the same it's way like so I cool feel the same way and so I'm so glad you're on the thank Becca you. Cook Show. I'm so honored. So thank you guys for watching and share, like, subscribe. 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 And we'll see you next time on the Becca Cook Show. Thank Peace you. Peace of Christ. Peace of Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Becca Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of the Becca Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. What happens when a writer and former history teacher goes toe-to-toe with his best friend, a nationally touring stand-up comedian? Total carnage, that's what. Two men enter, and two men leave, because that's how it works. (laughs) Actually, you get hilarious, real, and insightful conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. Join me, comedian Johnny W., and my pal, author, and speaker John Driver for Talk About That at LifeAudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.